0: I was telling someone, uh, y'all must have thought that uh, Bono was going to be here. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're talking about you too. We're not going you know. So, uh, but deeply, uh, deeply excited about this. Um, and like Philip said, um, one of the things that we're attempting to do in this class is, and and really even why we have the chairs kind of turned. Well, so that we can look at each other, because I really feel like the action of our spiritual life doesn't happen at the front of something, it happens in the center of something. And so um, that spirituality happens not um, when I have made a decision, but often it sneaks up um, to the side of me like the person sitting next to you. So look at the person sitting next to you. They have more to offer you today um, the folks around you than um, you will ever know. I grew up in a, um, and I've said this a number of times, I grew up in a church where I looked at the back of people's heads for 30 years and never got to know them. And one of the things I learned in that kind of spiritual environment was the um, capacity to hide. Because I was often and always judging people's outsides by my insides, and I was always coming up short, right? Anybody else do that? judge your, outsides by, your insides by somebody's outsides, and just think, oh, they're crushing it. Have you seen their Facebook page? Right? You know? Um, and what we're attempting to do in this space is to realize that our spirituality mainly is caught up in our um, capacity to be vulnerable with each other, to walk with each other. One of the um, quotes that we often say around here comes out of Ram Dass. Ram Dass' work who says, at the end of the day, all we're doing is walking each other home, and so that's what we really think spirituality is about. What it means to um, to surrender our life and our will to the care of Christ is um, not to have all this tight belief system, but can we have the capacity to be vulnerable with each other? Not to um, start out with um, the creeds where it may be the starting point; it's not the ending point. And we'll see this today in some of the. Um, um, both the scripture and the um, the song that we'll be uh, we'll be looking at, and so um, I wanted to start off with um, as we um, as we um, I'm going to ask who would read a scripture for us today? Anyone? Anyone? Because I'll pick it. Oh yes, thank you. This comes out of Mark chapter, um, chapter 9, and it really forms a basis by which we'll look at uh, some of the text today so, uh, and the lyrics today. Uh, Mark 9, they brought him. When the demon saw Jesus, it threw the boy into a seizure, causing him to writhe on the ground and foam at the mouth. He asked the boy's father, how long has this been going on? Ever since he was a little boy, many times it pitches him into fire or the river to do away with him. If you can do anything, do it. Have a heart and help us. Jesus said, if there are no ifs among believers, anything can happen. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried, "Then I believe, help me with my doubts. Have you ever felt that? I believe, help me with my doubts. (laughs) I believe, help me with my doubts. Jesus goes full on uh, Yoda on this dude. You know, oh, there is no try there, you know, whatever. There's no, what did did Yoda say? I can't even do it now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's no try, there's only do. So Jesus kind of goes, Yoda, and this dude's like, I'm giving it my best shot. I believe, help my unbelief. Both of those live inside of us, right? Right. and uh, one, of the, um, one of the ways that um, we'll unpack that is through uh, this gospel according to you um, now, 2 Now, I'm doing this because Philip said, you like U2 a lot. And we both read the book, uh, his book on Surrender right now. And he said, you ought to do something on U2. So that's why I'm doing this. I'm a bit of a fanboy in this way. I've seen them 13 times in concert. Um, yeah, I know. It's a little obsessive. You can ask... Asked my wife and my therapist about that. Uh, uh, my brother, for my 35th birthday, uh, bought me tickets to Croke Park in Ireland, in Dublin. And uh, um, right when our boys came home from Guatemala, like it was like four months after they came home from Guatemala, and I came down the stairs and said, "Michelle, Mike got me tickets to you too at Croke Park." There's no way. I'm just bummed. I'm just saying it out loud so that I can move beyond it. She's like you got to go. I'm like, oh, dude, best woman in the world. I mean, best woman in the world. So she was saddled with two kids from Guatemala trying to, to become parents, and I went, to, I went to the Crook Park in Dublin. <laughs> Have never regretted it. <laughs> Um, And what I began to see is that in my own spiritual life growing up, I grew up in a very religiously tight background, much like uh, uh, um, Paul Houston Bono. Um, And um, it was his music that began to kind of allow me to see some of the cracks in my own belief system. I grew up with a type of belief that was really a logical positivism in in psychology or in philosophy. That means if you have any cracks, it'll all fall apart. And so the creeds and believing and belief was really this thing that I ginned up to say, it's got to be true, it's got to be true, it's got to be true, it's got to be true. And then I had these human experiences that didn't necessarily fit my belief. Does that make sense? If you have enough faith, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you, Jesus says. Right? And when you encounter some type of trauma or tragedy, and you try to shove your human experience into that space that you think occupies a thing called faith, and it doesn't fit, you have, I think, a couple different options. You begin to deny your human experiences... And the question I've always asked, and I've begun to ask in my adulthood, is can Christianity, is it big enough to fit the human experience? Does it have space for real humans? Does Christianity have space for real humans? Or does it require us to deny parts of ourselves to sublimate parts of our experiences, to push down questions um, that we, uh, that wake us up often in the middle of the night and cause us to shellack what I call just shellacking some Jesus over the top of it. Right? And so when I began to listen to you too, I began to see, oh, here's a band that's really contending with faith. Uh, a little history of them. they... Uh, came together as a high school band in the late 70s. Um, um, Paul Houston pulled off something in his, his, uh, uh, his school that just said uh, drummer looking for singer, band looking for singer. And he showed up um, at Larry Mullen's house and they began uh, this, this band. And out of this band, um, they there was they have this deep kind of Christian uh, background. Paul uh, Houston Bono uh, was uh, was Protestant, married uh, uh, in this in Dublin. Particularly at the time, a really odd thing is that it was an Irish and a Catholic mother and father got together, and so he was kind of this mutt spiritually, uh, the edge uh, Presbyterian, Larry Catholic, uh, Adam. His uh, professed atheism for a long time until uh, uh, more recently, um, and so um, um, in the in the in the culture that I grew up in, um, I could not listen to any secular music. Right? I knew Wayne Watson. Since, I think my you know since I've been a little baby. I mean that's his music. Watercolor ponies. Let's rock it. You know. Um, <laughs> If Wayne was here, I would say that too. I love Wayne. Um, but, but Christian music was the only kind of music I could listen to because the culture that I grew up in was, was really took seriously. Be in the world, but not of the world. That makes sense? And so what we did in my church was very different than whatever the world did. And there was a whole belief system um, within the church that I adopted, that I learned from, and that um, I look back on with a lot of um, gratitude today. I I realized the faith that I was given, as we talk about in here sometimes, um, the faith I was given as a kid was a size T-shirt that fit me really well at the time. But that as my human experiences grew, the T-shirt didn't fit anymore. And I had to decide... um, Do I exchange the T-shirt for something larger? Do I put the T-shirt on and act as if it feels super comfortable when I'm squeezing my entire body into this baby? Or do I take the T-shirt off and put it on occasionally? And what I began to see, a lot of my friends, a lot of the folks um, over the last 20 years have taken the T-shirt off and said, this doesn't work. What do I do with depression? What do I do with loss? What do I do with desire? What do I do with trauma? And me going to a Bible study or praying doesn't fix it. And so um, I think a lot of people um, live in that space. I believe. Help my unbelief. And often when we come to church or religious um, structures, there is this assumption that we're going to believe. Um, actually, there's the assumption that you don't believe, that I'm going to believe for you. Does that make sense? And that the pastor is going to believe. You guys can doubt. I don't. I got it covered. Right? <laughs> but what happens when your pastor doubts? Y'all are screwed. <laughs> right? What happens when when I come to this space and I say, I believe, help my unbelief. It mirrors back to you what you're experiencing. And so I think the church ought to be a place of deep transformative experiences where we are always contending with what it means to believe that that faith is always a practice. It's not a set of postulates. And so... um, in 1980, when I was in junior high, there was a guy named um, Brad Powell who had a flock of seagulls haircut. Uh, if you don't know them, Google it. You'll love it. <laughs> and he had a cassette tape that when uh, we got out of gym in first period, we'd walk down in my Christian high school, Trinity Christian Academy in, in Addison, Texas. We'd walk from the gym to the junior high building. And he had this uh, mini boom box yeah, that he got uh, uh, for Christmas one, uh, one year. And he would listen to this cassette uh, boy um, all the way from, um, uh, uh, from, the, uh, from the gym to the junior high building. Um, and he would have his friends around. He was part of the cool crowd. I know it's going to shock you that I was not. But um, um, I would fall behind them listening to this music. It wasn't Amy Grant. You know, um, it it wasn't Stephen Curtis Chapman. It had this kind of edge to it. It had this like rawness to it. And I was both attracted and repelled at the same time because my worldview was, oh, that's, you can't listen to that. And so um, found out that they were Christians. My brother talked my mother into buying this cassette for us. He had a boom box. Oh, yeah. We shared a room, so it was my boom box, too. And we listened to this album nonstop. Um, Bono's mother had died when he was 14. My mother was diagnosed with brain cancer when I was uh, 13. And he began to sing his grief. I'd never heard anybody sing their grief. Often in the church, what we sing is our aspirations. We sing our faith as if it's all worked out or going to work out. And partly, I think that we have to reclaim within the artist, within the Christian faith, is singing the in-between spaces. Singing the, the, uh, the contention that we live with. Singing the doubt that lives in each of us. Not as a way to the glorious by and by, but as a way of honoring the fact that we believe, help my unbelief. And that's where most of us live. And it's a continuum. And often there are people that do not believe that used to believe. And they show up every week wondering... If their unbelief is going to be heard, if it's going to be recognized, if it's going to be honored, if it's going to be connected with, if somebody's going to say, I see you and there's nothing to be ashamed about, you're human. And this is exactly where we do humanity the deepest. And so um, this song that, uh, that we'll look at this, uh, this morning... Um, <laughs> Some of y'all have some of the uh, the lyrics that are next to you. I did not print out as as much of uh, um, a, of them as I should have. <laughs> I'm going to do this. Um, I, I'm going to sing it now. <laughs> Actually, um, Jeff Wood was going to come here and we were going to sing this together. He got sick. He called me last night. And I'm like, bummer. So next week we'll sing it, okay? We'll sing it. We're going to sing these. These songs have to be sung, right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Sing that with me. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Kelly Law, you didn't sing it. We're going to sing it again. I see that. I see that, Kelly Law. You're not going to leave me hanging up here embarrassed. Let's sing it for Kelly now. Ready? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, I I heard these lyrics. I believe in the kingdom come. This is the second verse. When all the colors will bleed into one. Yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds. You loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. Of my shame. You know I believe it. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Man. did Yeah? Like this, when when Bono uh, went to write the song or to talk about this song, he said at the heart, this is a gospel song. Rattle and Hum, which I saw in Tarrant County Convention Center um, with my first girlfriend that did not work out. And I'm really glad about that. But that is (laughs) a whole other Sunday school lesson. And I heard them sing this song. They were singing a part of faith that I didn't have words for. Because often what we conceive of faith is about assurances um, and certainty. That we are certain that our way of thinking about divine presence is right. And we have all these verses that we cart out in these really odd ways. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know why I always go southern. (laughs) Or the the church lady when I'm a little judgmental about something. But here it is. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're either going to believe Jesus or you're going to go to hell. Right? That was the system that I grew up in. So I wanted not to go to hell. I really wanted my mother to be healed of brain cancer. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And so I got after being the best that this culture could be. And when Bono sang the song, a crack opened up for me. That had always been there. I was just not at the place of honesty that I could say and I could hold those two things together. Right? I was deeply invested in a faith that had its root systems in assurance, its root systems in certainty. And that if I could master this, then I could control my life and those in it. And so, subtly, under all of my spirituality was just another control system, was just another system of seeking control. And if you know anything about the gospel in terms of a mature spirituality, the gospel will always summons us to surrender. It's not about control, it's about surrender. So inside of this whole faith system that I grew up in, really underneath it all, I was attempting to control the outcome of my mother's illness, the outcome of my own life, the outcome of my own sexual desires, the outcome of my own destiny. I was attempting to control everything through the spiritual root system that I had been brought up in. And to question that root system was to begin to uh, bring um, um, suspicion upon yourself. To question that was to have the elders of the church or more spiritual people or the pastor say, in no uncertain terms, well, 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 and that's special. (laughs) Let's talk about doubting Thomas now, right? And so it was my shame, it was my shame often that kept me sublimated trying to prop up a spirituality that did not have room for my own humanity. Does that make sense? And when I heard the song, I realized that there was something else that was going on in the spiritual life. You broke the bonds. You loosed the shame. You carried the cross of my shame. I I know I believe it. I believe that. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And in that crack, I began to... um, um, see a couple of other things. So the gospel, according to you two, one of the things I found that is it about the journey or the destination? I, I was raised in a church that says it's all about the destination. It's all about heaven. It's all about knowing that you've got the ticket in your pocket, you've said the words, you' said the right words, and that you're going to heaven. Rest of it. The rest of it is immaterial. The rest of it doesn't matter. The rest of it is a distraction. The rest of it is suck it up and just get over it. You'll be dead soon enough and we'll be in heaven, right? Really, that was a that, that was message. <clears throat> and what I began to wonder is does Christianity have enough space for the journey? And in that, I also began to see the paradox of the yes and of the religious experiencing. That yes, you can believe and you can also hold the tension. It's called a paradox, folks. And you will not um, mature spiritually if you only hold on to the yes. Richard Rohr says the most important word in the spiritual life is and. (laughs) And. It's that bridge to your own, um, Young might call it a shadow. John in the gospel might call it darkness. Jesus might um, um, call it um, um, our humanity. But it's the and that I began to wonder about. And it's the and that became the bridge to something else for me. um, This other space. Um, one of the things that um, Bono had said is one of the maddening, enduring habits of the human race, oh, this is Richard Orr, is to insist on domesticating God. (laughs) If you were to get a tattoo today, that might be a a first tattoo for some of (laughs) y'all. That what we end up doing often is we domesticate God for our own control systems. Does, Does that make sense? And so our spirituality is really, again, invested in our ability to control. And it's uh, um, an enduring and maddening habit of humanity to do that. We've been talking about over the last year or so, what does it mean to have a mature spirituality? That really is maybe the the center port of that mature spirituality is the and. And. And and you might live deeply on both sides of that and. But the and brings us to a center where we're holding a paradox, a tension that you will live out the rest of your life in. Um, And the way into that and, and the way to negotiate that is always to surrender to the and. So for a long time, I resisted doubt. It wasn't just that heaven was on the line. Maybe my mom's health was on the line. So how can you doubt? Parenthetically, can I take you somewhere? That is spiritual abuse, folks. That's spiritual malpractice. When a religious institution makes something so small that your own human experiences have to live within and you've got to become tighter and tighter and smaller and smaller to fit inside of it. What Frederick Buechner says is if there was no room in God for doubt, there would be no room in God for me. And I believe that, the and. I believe and help my unbelief. And so I think one of the steps towards a mature spirituality um, is this. It necessitates the relinquishment of certainty. A mature spirituality, you broke the bonds, you loose the chains, you carry the cross of my shame, you know I believe it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It it necessitates the, the letting go of certainty. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. I think right, you think wrong. We live in a world that has invested in that kind of thinking and it's ripping us apart. I think people are exiting the church not because we don't have things to offer, because we have been seduced by that kind of thinking. And we do not give people processes for transformation beyond maybe a marginally crappy Bible study and some bad songs. This will be my last weekend at Chapter. 9. <laughs> chapter 9 of Methodist Church. It's been great knowing you. you going to have to edit that out, I think. <laughs> but it's true, right? We laugh because it's true. We laugh because we show up at church asking that maybe somebody would notice the, the, the variability within myself, the doubt that I struggle with, the grief that I don't know what to do with, the impulses that I have that I can't talk about even to my therapist about. You know I believe you, God, and I still haven't found it. And part of what it means to be a Christian community is to begin to build relationships where that is normal. where that's the normal thing. where we're not sizing each other up. We're moving through the transformative processes of, of me not comparing my insides by your outsides any longer so that we can know and be known by each other. And then really believe that in that knowing where the two or three are gathered, something happens. And again, that's just another name for the name of God in the Old Testament. Something is happening. Mystery. We're drawn into deeper mystery. And the price of that will always be certainty. And once you give up certainty, often we enter into a place of doubt. Well, what if it all falls apart? (laughs) What if I pull this out and I don't believe this? Does it all collapse? That's part of the process, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, that you have to go through in the process. This is what Bono says. Doubt is essential to the very definition of faith. Doubt only exists in a context of certainty. Doubt isn't some sinful lapse from unwavering faith. It's actually built into it. A proposition you couldn't doubt would not be a matter of faith. That's good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Huh. So it's built within our very faith is doubt. This is what Leo Tolstoy says. It's not as a child that I believe and confess Jesus Christ. My Hosanna is born out of the furnace of doubt. And what I want to say about um, belief or faith, is it's not faith in an idea. Faith is always a risk towards something. And often faith shows up to say, I had an amazing discussion with somebody recently in a coffee shop. It was just beautiful. And I I found myself wanting to go to a place to, to, to disclose in a deeper space. And the question I realized I was wrestling with um, later when I got in my car and drove away was, did I have enough faith? Would I take the risk to go there? Do I actually believe what I say is where the two or three are gathered and that vulnerability is much more important than the Bible answer man? That our ability to go there with each other is, is a walk of faith. Why risk it? Will I risk it? I know I believe it, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And underneath that, underneath doubt, I believe, um, is longing, is a desire that we might be complete, is a desire that we might be known um, and know someone else is a desire that I might find a community or a set of relationships or a small group that I can bring my full self to. No secrets. And work out in the paradox of belief and doubt my very human existence. And what? What if just what if wherever you find that is the church? And what if um, whatever resists that is not the church even if you're in a place called the church and some of us some of you have had to go outside of the church to figure out how to be honest with yourself some of you have had to leave faith in order to find it some of you have played by a set of rules that is killing you on the inside because underneath all of that is a longing and your human heart. Your human heart will not stop longing for completion because it's built into your very DNA. It's built into your very... The spirit of the living God places that inside of us and says, your humanity is bigger. And I think that beliefs gets us into the parking lot of the arena. It is not the arena. It's not the game. And most of us in faith end up tailgating our entire lives in the parking lot of faith. Just kind of polishing belief, trying to stay away from doubt, not being too vulnerable, playing it safe, amassing wealth, making sure that I'm certain and that my kids are safe that I'm safe and everything's fine, and we get to the end of our lives and say, really, that's how I played it? Because I think underneath it all is a longing, a desire, a hunger, that the Spirit of God has placed in each of us. And to the degree that we can create a community that honors that, that walks each other home to that space, that works that out with fear and trembling, as Paul says, work out your faith, work out your risk with fear and trembling, is to the degree that we come in contact with um, the divine mystery of Christ. Um, and so our spirituality will always be found in the and. Yes, and. So if you have doubts, if you are struggling with things right now, I know some of y'all have got to go get kids, so go for it, yeah. Um, unless I really offended some of you. So that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that... Um, If you you struggle in that space, then let me say this. You're in the right place. You're around the right people. Because each of the folks next to you are struggling with something. They believe and they doubt. They have faith and at times they wake up saying, is God real? Is all this just crazy? And we are on a journey together that doesn't ask us to deny that or gives us a better belief system that says, let's take our hands, let's walk together in this. Because I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I'm going to find it with you. And maybe, just maybe, at the end of the day, we don't find it. It's about the journey, not the destination. Maybe it's not about where we're going. Maybe it's about the journey of how we travel together. And once we believe that, um, I think it opens up all these new vistas. I'm going to read this as we close today. Um, Richard Rohr talks about this process, this this process of order, disorder, and reorder. (laughs) That this is the process of faith for us. As you come to a place of order where you've got everything together and it's good, And then something happens that disorders that. A divorce, a a death, an addiction, a a crazy thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night that sets you on to deep insecurity or anxiety. You become disordered. And that we live in disorder for a while until something um, allows us to be reordered. This is, in Christian terms, this is life, death, and resurrection. This is the cruciformed way of living our spirituality. I used to think that if I did it right, or I'd get to a stage, it was always when I was in my 20s, always in my 30s, where I was going to have, as they say in West Texas, my poop in a pile. I was going to have it all together. You know, it was going to be fine. I got, I finally got to I looked at 30 year olds, I thought they had it. And I got to 30, I thought, oh no. I didn't get it, <laughs> right? I looked at 40-year-olds. I think maybe they got it. And then I got the 40s, and I thought, ooh, I missed that too. I thought maybe the 50-year-olds, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. This is the way. Order, disorder, reorder. We will always go things that will disorder us. That, that is Normal. You'll always go through something that leaves you wondering, where is God? Have I done it right? What's my problem? You'll always do that. That is absolutely normal. And the Spirit of God in community with other people will come along, and you will be led to a new order, which will always move you to disorder at some point. (laughs) Right? Right? The deal is, Not to get stuck in trying to control the order of everything. But to realize in community when you're in a disordered place, that's a deeply spiritual place. That's the troubled waters. That's the storm. Those are the things that you are powerless over. And that's the place that God can teach you much in. And then you'll come to a new reordered space. And that'll be beautiful for a while. And then something will happen that will disorder it. That's just the pattern of what it means to live. Here's what Richard Rohr says. All creation has a cruciform pattern of loss, renewal, death, and resurrection. Letting go and becoming more. It is a coincidence of opposites, a collision of cross-purpose waiting for the resolution in us. We are all filled with contradictions needing to be reconciled. The price we pay for holding together these opposites is always some form of crucifixion. Jesus Himself was crucified between a good thief and a bad thief, hanging between heaven and earth, holding on to His humanity and His divinity, a male body with a female soul, yet He rejected neither side of these forces, but suffered them all and reconciled all things in His being. I don't know if I understand all that, (laughs) but there's something in my gut that says there's something about the and And so we're going to keep um, singing our faith to each other, realizing that we still haven't found what we're looking for, and we're going to show up. And we're going to show up in each other's lives, and we're going to take each other's hands, and we're going to keep walking each other home. And the refrain over us all will be, I believe it. I believe it. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Sing that with me. I still haven't found... What I'm looking for. One more time. Kelly. I still haven't found what what I'm looking for. Let's pray. You loose the bonds. You freed my shame. You carry the cross of our shame. You know we believe it. That's why we're here. And we thank You that You hear the very song underneath this and we still haven't found what we're looking for. Keep us moving in this paradox. Keep us open. Let us, um, God, the best we can, risk towards each other this week. It's in Your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week. So the young adults uh, in our church are going to be gathering at Second Sunday Chicken. I think it would be really amazing for some of us just to go hang out with them, get to know them. There's, some, I think, some great mentoring opportunities with folks that are uh, uh, different ages and stages in this church and in the Sunday school class. And so it's something that you might think about. So thanks, Evan. We'll see you all back next week. Bono will be here next week. So tell, <laughs> tell your friends. <laughs>